Well, today we're returning to our study of the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12 today, looking at verses 18 to 24. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Hebrews 12, and we'll start in verse 18. Let me pray one more time, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, I'm just so struck by your grace in this moment. Thank you for those lyrics and reminding us of the the truth of your grace and how your grace meets us at every moment in our lives when we need it. Your grace preserves us, and it will be by grace and grace alone that we reach the end, but you promise to preserve us. But we just thank you for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us mercy and grace instead. Just been reflecting on karma lately and Lord I thank you that we have something better than karma something that just balances good and bad we have grace you've given us something so good Lord as we reflect on this passage today and as you in a unique way I think draw our eyes up out of our pain out of our temptations out of our doubts that you draw us up to something glorious. I I pray that we would see you as glorious today. I pray that you would open our eyes to see what we're supposed to from this text. I pray that you would transform us in ways that only you can. I pray that your spirit would fill this room, Lord. Give us eyes to see, convict us of sin, and draw us up in faith to you to see you in all your glory. Help us to remember your glory today. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, rocks are kind of a theme in the Bible if you think about it. Like if you remember the story from Joshua 4 as God's people go into the promised land. If you remember as they cross the Jordan River, they they pick up these different rocks as, as they cross the river and then they stack them on the other side and there's like this memorial that they uh, build on the other side of the river. It, it's a way for them to just worship God, to uh, uh, demonstrate their faith and trust in Him, you know, trusting in all of His promises. We, we do, we've done something similar in the past here at our church, and these significant moments in the life of our church, we've had these little stones of remembrance, just to remind us of God's grace and God's faithfulness in our life. Again, you see rocks throughout, uh, throughout the Bible. Last year when I was in Israel, I had the habit of, of picking up rocks, and I would go to significant places where they would say, well, Jesus was here and did this at this place, or Jesus was here, and, and I would pick up a rock just to remember, uh, to, to remind me of certain things. Now, if you've ever been to Israel and you've been on those tours, maybe he was there in those places. Maybe he did that in certain places. But th- there's a spot on the Temple Mount where there's these 2,000-year-old uh, steps that lead up to the temple. And they're made of these white stones. And of course, over those hundreds and thousands of years, rain has come and winds have come and, and, and the rocks have kind of broken down. And, and there at that spot was particularly special to me because it was one of those spots, if you're tracking the years here, this, Jesus was at that spot. And so I had to pick up some of those rocks and I have them in my office. But this is one of those stones. And, and listen, maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but Jesus might have touched this rock. And for me, this stone is just a reminder of the truth of the gospel. It's a reminder of that God is always with us and with me. It's just a great reminder. 
In fact, different places in the Bible, God himself is said that he is a rock. God is a rock. If you remember Psalm 18, 1 and 2, it says that God is a rock. It says in verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in which I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So God's a rock. He, he's not moved. And God is good. We're, we're to see this as good. And because he's a rock and can't be moved, he's all-powerful. And the fact that that's good, then, then God becomes like this stronghold, this, this covering for us where we can safely reside within his protection. We're going to close. Brian did a great job of picking songs for this service. And the last song that he picked is a song called Rock of Ages. And the chorus goes, No one takes your life. Yet you died that I might live. Costly grace you freely give, rock of ages. You paid the price. You were cleft to cover me. Let me hide myself in thee. So God's a rock. He's powerful. And he's powerful enough to take life. But we know the gospel is, is that he chooses to give his life. And as a result, not only is he strong and all-powerful, but he is gracious. We're going to look today at two rocks or two mountains these, these two rocks, these two mountains represent two different things about God. We're first uh, going to look at the Mount uh, Sinai, and then we're going to look at Mount Zion. And, and both of these mountains, both of these rocks, represent certain things about God. They, they represent certain attributes about God, and they also foreshadow things to come. We're returning to Hebrews 12 today, and if you're new with us, we're uh, kind of winding down our, our long series to the book of Hebrews but, but there's a, a turn in Hebrews at chapter 10 where it, it moves from all this lofty theology. Like, like Hebrews is complex. Hebrews in many ways is, is difficult to understand, but it's very beautiful. It's very profound. It's very lofty. Like he goes high in Hebrews, okay? This is not Sunday school Jesus in Hebrews. This is seminary Jesus, okay? This is this complex, beautiful, lofty vision of who Christ is. And then his point is in the book of Hebrews is Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything that is tempting you to fall away. Anything that you desire outside of Christ, Jesus is better. But then he takes this turn in Hebrews 10, and it moves from kind of theology and theory and, and who Jesus is and these lofty things, and it gets practical. So we're in this application portion of the book in Hebrews 12. And the great application of Hebrews 12 is to endure. It's this call to endure. Now, as lofty as the book of Hebrews is, the application portion is pretty direct. It's pretty plain. It's not lofty. It's very clear on what we're supposed to do. And the thing that we're to do is to endure. However, in verse 18, he kind of goes back to his, own, his old ways. He's going to go high. In, in these verses today, he's going to return to that, to the, that lofty place. He, he's going to expound these glorious things about Christ. But there's a twist to it. And the twist is related to the fact that it's within this context of endure. He's going to go high in order to call us to endure. He's going to look at these two mountains and he's going to get lofty. And he's going to go places like blazing fire, verse 18, and trumpets and Mount Sinai and trembling with fear. And then Mount Zion and heavenly angels and festal gatherings, as well as sprinkled blood and Christ being a mediator of a new covenant. He's going to go lofty. He's going to go high. But again, don't forget that the purpose of it is this call to endure. 
The reason why he's going to go high is that he wants you to endure. And so this is a call to remember his glory. Hebrews 12, 18 to 24 is important because when we experience trials and temptations, the pains of life, we tend to go down. Our minds go down on our problems. Our minds go down on our pain. And the solution to that is he's going to call us back to a gospel perspective, meaning he's going to call us up high. He's going to call us to take our eyes up off the pain and temptations and doubts and put them up on the mountains, put them up on these glorious things. We're to endure because of his glory. The first thing I want you to see is that this call to endure because of his glorious power and perfection. Now, before we look at verse 18, let me say one more thing. This section, again, is about two mountains. The first one is Mount Sinai, and the second one is Mount Zion. In the first mountain, Mount Sinai, this represents the law. The second mountain, Mount Zion, it represents God's grace. And you're to endure because of the glory of Mount Sinai, because of the good news of Mount Zion. Those are the reasons why we're to endure. We'll follow along in verses 18 to 21. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. This is a reference to Exodus 19. And in Exodus 19 is this moment where God comes down, gives his law to Moses and then to the people. This is a glorious moment. This was a terrifying moment. This was a holy moment. And as a result, the people weren't even to touch the mountain. People, God's people were filled with reverence for God in this moment. God comes down as a fire, and it's such a powerful fire that a, a smoke just engulfs the entire mountain. Like this is this terrifying moment. There's just fire and smoke. And then he starts talking about lightning and thunder and this deafening trumpet that sounds that, that rattles and shakes the entire mountain. They experienced God in that moment. They experienced his perfection and they experienced his power and they trembled with fear as a result of it. God's people encountered God at Mount Sinai and it was terrifying and it was awesome and it was glorious. And the reason is, is because God is all powerful and that God is perfectly holy. Have you ever been around beings, animals that are way more powerful than you? The other way of saying this is, if they wanted to kill you, they could. You ever been around an animal like that? Years ago, I was uh, out on the boat and we were watching whales jump up out of the Pacific Ocean. And they would flap their tails I mean, in the air. It was beautiful. I mean, the, whales are amazing creatures. I mean, we were, I mean, it was such, I mean, it was like a highlight of your life type moment, just seeing these amazing creatures. And then all of a sudden, the boat seemed very small to me. Are you with me? There's another time, I was scuba diving, and I looked down, and this, this was a real highlight of my life. I looked down, and about 30 feet below me is a shark. You ever seen a shark, like, been in the water with the shark? Like, I, mean, it was amazing. I mean, sharks are incredible, okay? And, I mean, we're with a group scuba diving, and we're all just, you know, we're all pointing. We're excited. Some people had underwater cameras are taking pictures. I mean, it was amazing. And then it was like, all of a sudden, we all kind of then had the thought of, wait a sec. 
what if he like quickly swims up to us? Like, what are we going to do then? And we're all kind of like, time to go. Yeah, let's get out of here. That's what happens when we're around beings that are this powerful, right? Like think of the most, the, the most vicious carnivore that you can think of. Then multiply it by infinity. That's who God is. That's who God is. He is this all-powerful being. And there's an aspect of being in his presence that is terrifying. This reference to Mount Sinai, it's a reminder of God's strength, his perfection. And there's an aspect of God where he's very unapproachable in that way. He, he's just high and lofty. He, he's like the roaring Tyrannosaurus Rex, if that does something for you. He's just this incredible being. And then the application of being in his presence is found in verse 21. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. I bet he did. I bet you would. That's the takeaway from us. The God of Mount Sinai is this powerful, lofty, perfect God, and we should tremble and fear in his presence. But when should we tremble? And further, what does healthy trembling really look like? Well, specifically for our purposes, we're in the context of Hebrew 12, this call to endure. And in this Mount Sinai moment, it's still within that context of to endure. So we're to tremble in moments when we don't want to endure. So, so in those moments where, where, listen, it's good to wrestle with other ideologies and worldviews and other religions. Like, like that's a good thing, okay? If what you're doing there is trying to draw closer to the Lord. Now, if what you're doing in that moment is to try to kind of wiggle out of some sort of commitment with the Lord or try to lower his word in some way to where you kind of slip under to then live however you want, if that's your purpose in those moments, then friend, you need to remember Mount Sinai. You need to remember this holy God when you're tempted to fall away. Listen, when you're tempted to like give up the, give up the fight to battle those temptations, Friends, that's one of those moments where you're to remember Mount Sinai. You're to remember that holy and all-powerful God when you're in the middle of a difficult trial and you just want to hit eject and, and just abandon it all. Friend, it's in those moments when you're to fear God. You're, you're to tremble at who He is and His perfection. Endure because of the healthy fear that you should have of the God of Mount Sion. I... Uh, read a story recently of a of a guy who lived an awful life. Okay, now I'm not going to scare you or sensationalize all that he had done, but but he just lived an awful life. But he had an experience where he had kind of been in and out of church as a kid. He had family members who were Christians and would share the gospel with him. And, and then he had this moment where someone who had who had done all these similar awful things that he had done, this other guy faced divine judgment for it. And the first guy, it just rattled him. He, he, he came face to face with the reality that, listen, I'm going to answer for the way I've lived my life. And he got really scared of going to hell. He was terrified of it. You know what he did? He, he, he found the first pastor he could find and just said, could God save me? And that pastor then talked about God's grace for him. But listen, it was a great example of a healthy fear of God of a healthy fear of when you see His holiness and you see where you're not, then what does it mean to get right with Him? This guy had a, had a healthy fear of Mount Sinai. Friends, let's be blunt. Mount Sinai is why we're to endure. 
If you're toying with walking away, tremble in fear because God is glorious. You're about to wake a dragon if you, if you fall away. Endure because of the healthy fear that you should have of the God of Mount Sinai. Remember his glory. Endure because of his power and because of his perfection. Let's look at the second mountain. We're to also endure because of his glorious grace. Look at verses 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels and festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The author is staying up here in the clouds. He's, he's staying up in the high and lofty places, but he switches to a different mountain. He switches from Sinai to Zion. He, he goes to this new mountain. In this new mountain, not only we're not supposed to be, uh, we're, not, we're not supposed to see uh, God's glorious terror, we're supposed to see God's glorious grace in this moment. We're, we're to see the joy of being in God's presence in this moment. If you don't know what Mount Zion is, physically, it, it's, the, it's a mountain there in Jerusalem. Now, they're tall, steep hills is really what they are. But, but it's, it's one of those mountains in Jerusalem. Now, the, the original attraction to the mountain was is when King David took it, the Jebusites uh, were living there, but he took it. And the reason why he took it is, is that, the, is that kind of the, if you looked at the mountain from kind of an, an aerial view, it comes to a point, and at the point, there's a spring there. And so there was some uh, strategic benefit to the mountain because if you were up on the top of the mountain defending the mountain, you could still get fresh water from the springs. That's probably what drew David originally to the mountain. But when David brought God's people there, he brought the tabernacle there. And so he set the tabernacle up there. And then his son, of course, built the first temple. And then Herod, a little further back on the mountain, built the second temple. And that's the temple mount. That's Mount Zion. And so that's what it is physically. But spiritually, it's more profound. Spiritually, the significance of Mount Zion is not the spring or King David. It's the temple. And the significance of the temple is, is that's where God was. See, God's presence was in, with his people in the temple. That's the significance of Zion. Now, if you know the rest of the New Testament, you know that God, beginning with the prophets, he then expands the theology of Mount Zion and gives us this sense of, of greater presence of God the further we go, right? We don't need the temple anymore. We, we have Christ. We have something better. But, but further, as he goes, that this Mount Zion becomes like a foreshadow of things that are to come. You see, being in God's presence for eternity, that's the good news of the gospel. Your hope is not getting to do whatever you want or eat whatever you want or all sorts of things in eternity. Heaven is heaven because Christ is there. You're in the presence of God. That's, that's the great hope of heaven. That, that's the good news that he's offering is that God promises to dwell with his people for eternity in heaven. In a sense, you're going to be in Mount Zion for eternity, a greater Mount Zion, a new Mount Zion, a new Jerusalem. You remember Revelation 21.2, and I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You see, our ultimate hope is dwelling with God for eternity. That's the good news of that new heavens and the new earth, is that God is there. We're, we're in His presence it's as if there's this eternal 
perfect Mount Zion that awaits us. This, this new Jerusalem. And at that place, verse 22, there's innumerable angels and festal gatherings. There, there you see the assembly of the first, firstborn, verse 23. So the angels, the elect, they're all in God's presence. They're seeing His glory. And you know what happens when you see God in His glory? You worship Him. You joyously worship Him. And so there's a great contrast between these two mountains regarding what you hear from the two mountains. You see, at the first mountain, what did you hear? You heard thunder and this trumpet that rattled everything. But at the second mountain, God's people and the angel are all with God seen in His glory. And the thunderous thing that you hear from there is the worship of God's people, joyously worshiping Him. That's our eternity. That's the great hope of Mount Zion. But how do we get there? And further, why is this hope a guaranteed promise? Now, stick with me on this because the answer to those two questions are intertwined. First, the way we get there is through the gracious mediating blood of Jesus. Look again at verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Friends, hear me on this. The gospel is not do your best and hope for the best. And further, the gospel is not do more good than bad and then earn your way into heaven. What verse 24 is saying is, is the gospel is Jesus' blood, which, be, which serves as a mediator of a new covenant. He, he's saying that, that his blood pays for all your sins of all time. All those moments when you don't do your best or when you do more bad than good, it's covered by the blood of Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And further, it's guaranteed. It's a covenant. So think of it this way. It pays for all the sinful words that you say. And further, it pays for all the sinful thoughts that you think that led to the sinful words. And even further still, it pays for that sinful heart that led to the sinful thoughts that led to the sinful words. It pays for all of that. It covers all of those things. And further, again, it's a guarantee. It's a, it's a promise that He covers those things. So second, this is where the hope comes from. You see, we have real hope here because this is a guaranteed promise. Again, look at verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It's the mediator of a new covenant. You see, our hope for dwelling in the eternal Mount Zion, it's not based upon your good hearts or your good thoughts or your good words. It's based upon the blood of Christ. Your efforts are not good enough, but His blood is. And as a result, we have a guarantee. We have a promise we have a new covenant. We have real hope. And your hope is not based upon you. It's based upon Him. Amen? This is why Paul says in Galatians 4, but the, the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. You see, we have something better than Old Testament law. We have something better than do more good than bad. We, we have God's grace. We, we have something better than the terror of Mount Sinai. We have the joy and the grace of the gospel that comes from the eternal Mount Zion. We have something better. Now, I said that there's a little bit of a twist here. Here's the twist, okay? These two mountains are being compared, okay? 
Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. You have God's law, you have God's grace. God's law is based on His perfection and His holiness, and it's terrifying. And then over here you have God's grace, and this leads to joy. Now there's a comparison, right? This is better. This is good. This isn't bad. But, but this is just gloriously better, right? But, but here's the twist. This is within the context of endure. You're to endure because of both of these mountains. On the first, you're to endure because of the power and, and the holiness of God. There's a terrifying aspect to who God is. So those moments when you don't want to endure, remember Mount Sion. But, but over here, you have this other mountain where God is, is gracious, and thus you can experience the joy of being in His presence. And thus, we become inflamed by joy, knowing that nothing is better than that. Because whatever tempts you to fall away, it doesn't touch the joy that you have from being in God's presence, being on Mount Zion for eternity with Him. We're to be inflamed by joy because of the gracious glory of God at Mount Zion. So endure. Endure because of His glorious grace. Okay, but what's the link between endurance and joy? And further, what does it look like for the glorious grace of God to help us endure? There's a link between endurance and joy, right? Like we don't endure because our hearts get low. They're focused either down on our trials or on our hardships or or the pain of life. Our minds and our hearts get, get focused low on, on maybe sinful depravity. But when our hearts and our minds, when, when they're down low, focused on those things, that's when we fall away. But, but the solution here is to lift our hearts and to lift our minds up to the high things, the lofty things, the, the glorious things, the glorious things of who Christ is. And when we're up there, that's when we experience joy. When we take our minds off of this stuff and we put it up there, that's when we experience joy. And you know what happens when you experience joy? You endure. Come what may. Come no matter what hardship you face. If your heart and your mind is up here, you endure. Because you're tasting something better than the most bitter things of this life. What I mean is that when we are low, we're to take our thoughts captive and we're to remember the glories of God. We're to remember that He's all-powerful and He's perfectly just. And as a result, we're to roll around in our mind the implications that God will make all things right. All that is broken, it's going to be made whole. He's coming and He's going to make things better. All of creation is going to be as it should be. God is gloriously perfect and He's gloriously powerful. And further, we're to remember that He's given us so much grace. He hasn't called us to... He doesn't expect us to be perfect because He's been perfect for us. He's not given us what we deserved. We deserve judgment. He's given us mercy and grace. He's given us something better. His work on the cross not only accomplished our salvation, but it also guaranteed our salvation. We can't out His grace. His grace just keeps coming like a, like a mighty ocean waves that just blows away everything that gets in its path. It's guaranteed. Remembering God's grace, that enables us to endure when we are down and when we're tempted. God is gloriously gracious to us. Listen, some people think that, that theological reflection is like a waste of time. I think Hebrews 12 says the opposite. 
I think it calls us to ponder these lofty things of God. Pondering those things, that's spiritual. That's, that's where we find our joy. When, when we're low on the pain and the brokenness of this world, Hebrews 12 is calling our souls up to the heights of the glory of God. Let me close with a couple of questions for you. Is His glorious justice and power, is it still inspiring faithfulness? Like when your soul becomes apathetic and it yearns for fleshly things, do you remember Mount Sinai? Listen, reread Exodus 19. Reflect again on the reality of a God who appears in fire. And it's so powerful and glorious that smoke covers an entire mountain. Like you, you can't read that passage and walk away and change. Ponder the transcendence of His holiness. Tremble again, reimagining that, that trumpet blast that just rattles an entire mountain. Don't waste your life on frivolous things. Not when you have a God like that. Don't waste your life on animal desires. Not when you have a God like that. Not when you have something that powerful, that perfectly holy. Those things should stir your soul when you're apathetic, when you're down. Return to the glories of God. Remember Mount Sinai. My second question is, is His glorious grace still inspiring faithfulness? You see, when this life crushes you or the pain is overwhelming or when you want to reject it all, remember Mount Zion. When you want to quit because you feel all alone, remember that His promise is that to dwell with you forever. He wants to dwell with you forever. That, that truth is wrapped up in Mount Zion. So, so when, you, when, the, when the pain is so strong that you want to quit, return in your mind. Ro- roll it around again, these truths of Mount Zion, that He's going to make things whole again forever. He wants to give you good things. That, that's, that's the good news of Mount Zion. He has good things coming. It's bought by the blood of Christ. And it's guaranteed by the blood of Christ. When you're tempted to deconstruct your faith, remember that there's nothing better. There's there's nothing more holy. There's nothing out there that's going to give you grace when you deserve justice like the gospel, like the God of the gospel. There's nothing else out there that's better, friends. Young people, if you're toying with all that stuff, listen, if you're doing it to draw closer with God, praise God. But, but if you're doing it to, to wiggle away from here, let, let, me just, let me just save you some time and heartache. Wherever that's leading you, it's not as good as what this is. There's a God behind this that is glorious. His power is unimaginable. And His grace is better than anything that the world offers. Remember Mount Zion. Trials, temptations, and doubts. They can all cause us to lose perspective, Right? Like pain can tempt us to not believe the promises of God. Do you remember the story of Naomi from the book of Ruth? You remember Naomi? Naomi lost her perspective during her trials. She, she knew God. She knew His word. But when she walked through something difficult, she lost her perspective. However, listen, she went through painful hardships. Her husband died. She lost her two boys, understandably. Understandably, she was crippled by pain. But in the middle of that pain, as she was looking down on that pain, you remember what she said? Ruth 1, verse 13, The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. 
And if you remember the story, she returns back to her hometown. And then she says, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I I went away full. And the Lord, the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has, has testified against me, the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Now listen, those two verses, they sure sound like she's not blaming her struggles on like the brokenness of this world. She's blaming God. She's putting God in the box here, right? She's mad at God. God's the one who she blames here. But is that true? Like her claims in those two verses, is that true? Like, like is God really against her? Like, does God deal bitterly with us? Does God testify against His elect? Is God to be blamed for calamity? Again, as Naomi's life reveals, trials can cause us to lose perspective. We can face hardships and then be tempted to focus down on the pain and not up on the promises of God. We can forget His glory. However, if you remember the story, God graciously preserves Naomi. And along the way, He changes her heart. Like God is faithful to uphold her. At her lowest moment, she endures. When she's bitter and angry and broken, she doesn't give up. That's not the end of her story. She was hurt, but she remembered the Lord. And if you remember the book of Ruth, there's all these twists and turns to her life, and the Lord is always in control. He's more powerful than her struggles, and He never gives her what she deserves. He always gives her grace. Remember, she goes back and settles back in the land of Israel, and He graciously provided a man to bless her and her daughter-in-law with food. He even stirred in the man's heart for Naomi's daughter-in-law. The man was a noble man. He was a righteous man. He did things the right way. He was generous. He was kind, but he, but he did it in ways that were respectable and good. You, you know the story, right? And then at the end, he marries Naomi's daughter-in-law. And eventually, the Lord blesses the couple with a child. Naomi becomes a grandmother. This is where the story ends. And there's a powerful ending to the story. She's bouncing this baby boy in her lap. And no longer does she say, the hand of the Lord has gone against me. She's no longer wanting to be called bitter. When she reflects on it all and all the pain, all the trials, her eyes are then lifted up to the Lord. She returns to a place of joy, not primarily because of her circumstances, but because her eyes are lifted up to the grace and the goodness of God. And as she bounces that grandson on her lap, here's what her friends say. They capture her heart in this moment. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life, a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to Him. Naomi had weathered trials. She'd weathered temptations. She'd weathered doubts. But God had proven faithful to her. And it's the same thing for us. Friends, that's why we endure We endure through the trials. We endure through the temptations and we endure through the doubts. We endure by remembering. We remember Mount Sinai over here. All the fire. All the smoke. All this powerful, holy, righteous God roaring through the fire. That's how we endure. And we remember Mount Zion over here. This moment that reminds us that He is with you. Remember that He's always with you. Remember that He promises to be with you forever. And it's guaranteed by the blood of Christ. It's a promise. It's a covenant. That's why you endure. Because He promises this grace. 
This grace that you didn't earn, but this grace that He gives you through the blood of Christ. No matter what comes, endure by remembering His glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank You for these two mountains. I thank You for the good news that You're all-powerful and that You're perfectly holy. And Lord, I also thank You for the good news that Your blood was shed for us so that we could receive grace and not justice. Lord, thank You for giving us not what we deserve, but giving us mercy instead. And Lord, we praise You today. We praise you because of the promise of being in your presence with you for eternity. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.